This is recording number 10977 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 11, 2012. This is the fourth message in the series titled, Unleashing the Power of Family. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Time to Train. So we're talking about unleashing the power of family. We believe that God meant, I believe the, the, the Bible teaches, and that God meant for family to, ha- to be very powerful in our lives and shaping how we know God, how we relate to Him, how we move through life with assurance and confidence and peace and security. And it gets, unfortunately, because of sin, sin has messed up everything, family often has... Uh, because it is so powerful, has very negative effects on our lives. And as sad as that is, I believe that the Lord wants to, to transform that and change those effects however you have been affected negatively by family because all of us come from, all of us, every single one of us, come from dysfunctional families. The degree to which there is dysfunction is, um, is different depending on the circumstances, but every one of us have come from families of sinners, right? And that sin has corrupted what God intended for family to be. But he can restore, he can bend the curve of that back in our lives and re- he is a redeemer and a restorer. And so we are looking at what the Bible has to say about a number of things number of themes having to do with family life. And we've already talked about how God wants your place of residence, your house, to be his home. How your, your house, the place where you reside, can become an embassy of the kingdom of God. We talked about um, marriage, the making of a marriage, and how to build a lasting love. We talked last week about the soloists, about um, single adults and single parents and what God's word has to say about that. And today we're going to be talking about uh, parenting and the title of the message is The Time to Train or How to Build a Strong Foundation for Your Child's Future. Now I think, uh, I think that parenting, and, and it may be that you, you know, you're here today and you're Children are grown and gone like ours are. But let me tell you something. You are ne- you're never done as a parent. I was hoping that would uh, you know, kind of work out differently. But you're never done as a parent. Some of you uh, are still in the thick of the, of the battle. Um, but I believe that God's word can speak to us and through us to those who we have influence over, to those we... God has placed in the circle of our influence, circles of our influences that need his help with regard to uh, parenting. Now, I think of parenting as a two... Now, this is not going to sound all that profound. It's a two-decade process. You know, it's, you're, you're, I just said a little bit ago, you're never done, but it's kind of done after about 20. And, but the first two decades of a person's life 
are so incredibly critical in how the rest of their life uh, plays out. And moms and dads, we have huge impact on a person's future as we move through those first two decades of our kids' lives. But I think that that two-decade process breaks out into two very general, but worth considering, two general um, segments, the first 10 years and then the second 10 years, and a different strategy for each. The first 10 years of a child's life is the time to train. That's when we pour into them. That's when we help them to understand who God is and develop a reverence for Him and for His Word, a love for Him. That's when we shape uh, their, we have an opportunity to shape their thinking and and how they view life and how they view how they move through this world. The second decade, and I plan to talk about this next week, uh, from roughly from you know. 11 years old to 20, that period of time in a, in a young person's life um, is the decade of decisions. That's when they start making choices based on what you have input into their lives in the first 10 years. And I think of it like, um, you know, the astronauts when they're out doing their, their spacewalks, they're, te- they're on a tether. And uh, that tether is, is let out uh, incrementally in a measured way so that they can do what they need to do out there if that tether gets cut prematurely bye bye it's this very serious thing but I, I feel like the last or the second decade of a of a child's life is that time when moms and dads are letting out the tether but in a measured way it's not like they turn 11 and you say okay have at it we're letting them out towards maturity in a measured way. And that's, that's the goal, is that they distance themselves in, in, in certain ways from us. And, and that's, we'll talk more about that. I probably already said too much about that. We'll do that more next week. But I want to just focus in on the first decade of a child's life. And again, if you don't have kids at home, you may have grandkids. You may have children in your future. However it is, let the Lord begin to speak into you these things out of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and beginning at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is alone. He is the one. I'll find myself sometimes just praying, Lord, you're the one. You're the one. There's a lot, of, a lot of stuff out there competing for our attention, isn't there? But there's really only one voice that matters, His. He is alone, God. He is the, he is the truth. He is the answer. He is the one. So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise again, or rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, Moses, who has been leading the children of Israel through their wilderness wanderings, and now 
they are poised to move into the promised land, Moses is recounting to them. He's going back over because it's a new generation. The previous generation had died off and I won't talk about that too much but brand new generation who weren't there on the scene when the Ten Commandments were, were given, when, when the law of God was set. And so Moses is recounting these things to a new generation before they go in to take possession of the land. And that's what he says, that's what he means when he says, and these words, he's talking about the words of God. These words, uh, which I command you today, shall be in your heart and so on. I think that embedded in these few verses are some very important things that will help us as parents as we seek to build a strong foundation for our children's future. But the first thing I want you to take a look at is the objective. Verse 5 tells us what the objective for the training um, of our children is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Our job as parents is not to keep our kids in line or to make sure they don't become, you know, serial killers or something. I mean, that's, that would be a nice thing. I don't want my kids to become serial killers. But our job is not that. Our job, the objective, is to help them to have a love for God. A love for God. I prayed almost every single day. I still do. Pray nearly every day for my children, now their spouses, now my grandchildren. Lord, I want them to know and love you every day of their lives. I, I, I do this, I don't know why. I say, I, I pray, Lord, there will never be a day. This is how I do it. I'm not saying you should, but, but I, I say, Lord, I pray there will never be a day that they won't love you and seek to serve you with their whole heart. That's the objective. Now, look, it's not an easy thing. I mean, we, you bring those little babies home. And I remember we brought our first, first child home, a little day spring. And this was back in the days when, you know, we brought her home from the hospital, not in a car seat, in her mom's arm, no seat belts, and a metal dashboard. That's, <laughs> that's where we were in those days. But anyway, we brought that little baby home, and you kind of go, oh... How sweet, how lovely. And, and they are, aren't they? But look, the truth is, that little baby you hold in your hands is actually a sin bomb. <laughs> and our job, in a part, is to detonate that sucker. <laughs> in a safe way. <laughs> right? <laughs> We're like the bomb squad. Now, I, I hope I haven't ruined your, your idea of parenthood completely, but we are sort of like the bomb squad. And what we want, though, is we want for those precious little ones to develop a love for God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then the passage tells us the prerequisite. Because you and I are not going to be able to do this unless you and I have our own relationship with God. Verse 6, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. At the Men's Institute yesterday, Rick Gomez back there was talking about 
he's a teacher and he was talking about if he shows up in class and he, he doesn't really know what he's talking about, which I'm sure never happens, yes. his kids will see through it like that. And they do. You know. You, 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 you're exposed to somebody who's faking it, who's you know, trying to, to act as though they know what they're talking about. You know. Moms and dads, you will never be able to help your children have a love for God, a love for His Word, if you don't personally have a living love relationship with God. They will take their cues from you. So much of what we learn in life is from observation. So you can be barking at your kids day and night about how they ought to do this and do that and love God and read the, read the Bible and pray and all this stuff. If they don't see it in your life, it's just passing through. And then this passage talks about uh, the method. The method. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Diligently. That has to do with consistency, consistent instruction. I know what it's like because I've, I've been a parent and I am an imperfect parent. I know what it's like to do, you know, really well for a couple of days <laughs> and then kind of fall off the wagon. And, you know, there is mercy with God and there is you know, forgiveness and there is redemption. Thank God. But the more consistent we can be, the more diligent we can be about how we model, how we live, how we instruct our kids, the more uh, the benefit is going to reach them. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And now from here on, here on out, I want to talk to you about the where, when, and how. The where, when, and how to do this. All right, verse uh, 6, excuse me, verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And here we go. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. What, what kind of talk goes on in your house? Is God talk a natural part of the conversation of your home? If not, you need to consider what's, what needs to be tra- changed there, what needs to be adjusted there. Because if we're going to be diligently helping our kids to develop a love for God, they have to understand it as being just normal, just part of life. When we get together... It's not like, you know, we have to blow a trumpet and say, now I'm going to talk about God. You know, it ought to be just, it's just there. It's just always sort of in the mix of how we communicate what life is like at our address. God is not a stranger to our address and to our life together. It says, you shall uh, talk... um, Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. Now, another one of these where, when, and how kind of things is we get to teach diligently 
while traveling. You have a captive audience. I mean, they're strapped in. Where are they going to go? How are they going to get away? Now, look, I, I have to admit up front, I've already, uh, I've already told you that Sue and I come from the dark ages before there were you know, HD TVs in the back of, of every seat in a car. There's an awful lot of stuff that you can just plug your kids in and distract them for miles as you go down the road. And I'm not even opposed to, to, to that. I'll, I'll use anything I can get. <laughs> but travel time, Moses is telling us in the book of Deuteronomy, sees that as an opportunity to teach diligently. I, you know, uh, one of the things we used to do is we used to, when we had the kids in the car, we'd sing. And we would sing, you know, really weird songs like just plant a watermelon on my grave and let the juice slurp through. Now, I, there's nothing, no redeeming value in that whatsoever. <laughs> and there's another one. Oh, Ma, can't you smell her? Oh, Grandpa's in the cellar. I mean, you know, just weird things that we would sing. But then we would, see, we would sing things like this little light of mine. Jesus loves me, this I know. You know, all the little songs that were just part of travel time and using that as an opportunity to continue the teaching diligently. You know, I don't think our kids ever felt like, oh no, the car. (laughs) I don't think they ever felt that way. But it was just part of it, you know, seizing an opportunity. And and, uh, Moses says, hey, do that. Uh, It says, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, I don't really know any better times than bedtime and wake up to to implant things in your kids' lives. There's like a, you know, there's an openness there. There's a a vulnerability, an accessibility um, that you don't have when, when, when life starts roaring through the rest of the day. And... You know, it seems, I know, a little bit, uh, can seem a little bit, um, I don't know, uh, forced maybe, but it doesn't have to, to pray with your kids at night before they go to bed. If you work that into their bedtime routine, it's just a natural part of what goes on, it can be a very lovely thing. In fact, with our grandkids, I love it. They (laughs) They always remind us. You forgot to pray with me, Grandpa. And here's the one. You forgot to sing to me. Yeah. I love that. And the song is, Jesus loves me. And so, those bedtime wake-up rituals are a huge opportunity to just implant. Uh, I mean, I, look, I, I, I never, I've never done anything perfect in my whole life. So I'm not setting myself or Sue up as... Uh, well, maybe Sue, but certainly not me as examples of anything. Uh, I'm just giving you some, some thoughts and ideas. As my kids grew older and it was, you know, it was less, um, I don't know, um, appropriate's not the right word, but less effective maybe to have those uh, prayer times at night or in the morning when they woke up. In other words, you know, you, your kids reach a, a, a point where they don't wait for you to get out of bed. They're up and they're, they got the TV on or whatever else they're doing. And so when my kids reached that point, 
I finally decide, I decided, look, we, gotta, we still need to harness this um, beginning of the day thing. And so I decided we were going to have, I'm going to get our family together. Now look, I, our house was not any different than yours. It was like the deck of an aircraft carrier. People firing off in every different direction. And so it wasn't easy at all. But I, 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 I uh, communicated an edict. We're all going to get together first thing in the morning in our den. And I'm going to spend five minutes with you talking about Jesus. And boy, did that go over well. <laughs> I got a lot of grief from the, about that, including this one right here. <laughs> but, you know, and I, I pressed through because I really felt like it was something we were supposed to do. So I just pressed through and, you know, you find a way. We finally figured out how to do it. You know, and when the kids were really little, we got this Bible that was a—it was like a comic book. I don't even know if they still make it anymore. But you know, they have the little bubbles over the people's heads with the words and stuff. And I could show them. You know, I could say, and then we'd read like you know a verse or not—not not much. And then uh, we'd pray, and and that'd be it. There were times we used videos, but uh, you know, five minutes max. I kept it to five minutes max. But we had that time every single day at the, f- at the start of the day before we fired our rockets and took off uh, to just remember this is about Jesus. This is about his plans for our lives. Then it goes on to say, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And, one of the, and this is uh, a little odd. Ob- obscure, a little obtuse, it's a little hard to, to see into what's being said here. Um, and I don't want to take a whole lot of time with this, but some of you would be familiar with phylacteries. The Jewish people took this very literally and they had uh, little boxes that contained portions of the scripture that they, in fact they still do, Orthodox still do this, they, they, they tied it to, the fore, to their forehead with these kind of leather straps or they could have it, they wear it on their um, on their uh, hand. And so, I mean, if you want to do that, more power to you. I'm not sure that's going to go over real well with your kids. But I think really what's more important here, I think really what's more important here is that this is talking about you and your example. As frontlets between your eyes. As, uh, and on your hands. This is talking about what do they see in you? What do they see in you? What do they see in your expression? Frontless between your eyes. What do they see in your eyes? What do they see on your hands when you're doing things? Now, you can live your life, you know, being fake about it and trying to put on a show for your kids, but we've already talked about how that, they're going to see right through that. But they do need to see, they need to see on your face that you believe what you're saying. They need to see on your face, in your eyes, that you love God. They're not just talking, you're walking it in the things that you do. You're asking them 
to learn to pray and to read the Bible, do they ever stumble on you in your prayer time? Do they ever just happen on you when you're reading the Bible? Those things speak, speak volumes. So your example, your expressions. And then it goes on to say, verse 9, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And I think that has to do with furnishings. You know, your doorpost, your gates. What are the, what, how is the environment of your house speak about your love for God? There, look, there's a way, I, you know, we've all seen that. We've all been to these people's homes that are very hyper-spiritual and every square inch of every single wall says, you know, something about God and they've got, you know, pictures up of, of uh, Bible scenes and stuff. And it's just a little overwhelming. We're not talking about that, I don't think. I don't think that's what Moses is saying here. I think he's saying that in a very tasteful way. That how your home is decorated speaks about your love for God. We had this picture that Sue had when she was a little girl um, of Jesus with with children. And and it's pretty famous. You may have seen it. Um, The problem is it's from the 50s. They're all dressed. It's, you know, kids were in the 50s and they're all uh, white and blonde haired, blue eyed kids. And so it's a little goofy. But it's very sweet in the way that it it's depicts Jesus' love for children. And <clears throat> so Sue had it as a little girl, or I don't know if it was the same one, but we found one, just a little cheap poster that we put in a frame. And when we brought Dayspring home from the hospital, our first baby, it was on the wall above her uh, cradle. She probably didn't know what it was. <laughs> but over the years, that thing just stayed there. And every baby, there was, I don't mean to sound like we had tons of them, we had three, and every one of them, and we brought home, same place. You know, they, from their very first time in our house, here's Jesus, he loves children. And, and uh, in fact, at some point, that thing just decayed and it got thrown out, and, but, 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 uh, but we have it again for our grandkids. Right over the bed, same thing. And I just think that there's stuff like that that you can use to just reinforce non-verbally. Jesus is honored in this house. We love him. We're not perfect, but we love God and we're seeking him. Mom and dad love God. We're seeking him. And those things are transformative. They transform your child's future. You have 10 years to do this. Some of you have come to Christ later in your life. Your kids, when you came to know Jesus and love him, were already past that age. And I'm not here today to say that, you know, you're hopeless or they're hopeless or anything like that. Because you're not and they're not. God is powerful and redemptive. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be serious about seizing the time we have. Ten years. That's a very short time. Trust me, I know for some of you that seems like forever. It's half your life. (laughs) For me, like that. Ten years. We have to imprint, imprint, press this in. Make a mark on their life that will establish a foundation for what God can do in the rest of it.